the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy shares the common sense of God's Word. Did you notice the phrase there? Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward. Paul's not telling us to forget the past. He's not telling us to erase memories of God's grace by which we can take encouragement regarding God's faithfulness. Now, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this, don't look back, don't recall the past if it's going to get in the way of you moving forward. That's the point. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Philip has titled today's message, Making Progress, Christ Our Goal. Now, it's been said that it's not the perfection of one's life, but the direction that is evidence of our regeneration. The Christian life is about making progress, about pressing on and moving forward with our focus on Christ, our goal. We're reminded of that truth today as we continue a series titled Life in Focus. Now, let's join Philip for this inspiring message. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. A short four-part series out of the book of Philippians, a series we've called Life in Focus. Now, I like what Arkan Hugh says about these verses. They are an explosion of spiritual longing. Paul longs to be more in his walk with Christ. He wants to fully work out in his life that which God, by his grace, is working in him through the saving act of Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The idea behind working out is to work out to completion, to work out to the maximum that is possible. So Paul is saying to them, you know what? You need to work out to a point of completion all that God has intended to do in your life through the saving life of Jesus. Paul is exemplifying what the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews 6 verse 11. Let us go on to perfection. Having been saved by grace, let us do those works that God has ordained us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10. What the Apostle Paul is saying is essentially this. Don't stop short of your potential. Don't be satisfied with simply squeezing into the doors of the kingdom of God. Go beyond your initial experience of conversion and become all that God saved you to be. Beyond salvation, there is a vast new life that can be developed if you will work it out. 
There's several things I want to see. First of all, if you're taking notes as we look at this message, making progress. First of all, his dissatisfaction. The first thing that strikes you about this text is Paul's dissatisfaction. He's not happy with where he's at. He's not ready to call it quits in terms of what he has done for Christ and what Christ has done in him. Not that I have already attained, okay? Or I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of Christ-likeness. Paul is saying, you know what? I have been apprehended. It's like a policeman's word. You know, some big copper puts his hand on your shoulder. You've been apprehended seized, captured. There came a day in Paul's life where he was apprehended. Paul understood that he had been apprehended to become like Christ and to take the message of Christ across the world. And he's telling us here, you know what? I am perfect in one sense that my justification has given me a perfect standing before God. I have a righteousness that's not my own, and it's perfect. But here's what's not perfect. Here's what's unfinished. Here's what's incomplete. I'm still becoming all that God saved me to become. I haven't apprehended that yet. I haven't embraced all that Christ laid his hands on me to do. And so there's this dissatisfaction, this acknowledgement that he hasn't arrived spiritually. Now that's a word to the perfectionist and to the libertine. Because there was a time in Paul's life outside of Christ where he thought he had reached the place of perfection. He says, according to the law, blameless. And there are people who will tell people, you can get to a state of perfection and blamelessness. And Paul says, no. And then on the one other hand, you've not only got the legalist and the perfectionist, you've got the libertine who says, well, you know what? Since Jesus died for our sins and Jesus paid it all, I don't have to do anything. And so we read about those later on in this chapter who mind earthly things and make a God of their belly and don't discipline their lives. And it's all grace. And there's no effort, no pursuit, no repenting. And Paul's saying to both of these people, hey, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect but I'm pressing on. So on the one hand, I'm not perfect, so he's not a perfectionist. On the other hand, I'm pressing on. He's not a libertine either. And Paul is addressing that issue and letting people know theologically that he hasn't arrived. There are still dead spots and blind spots in his walk with God. And I, folks, practically now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Paul is encouraging us, because he's exemplifying it here, to cultivate a holy discontentment about your Christian life. He uses language here of dissatisfaction and discontentment, that which is unfinished. Not that I have already attained, nor am I already perfect. I do not count myself to have apprehended. He's dissatisfied with where he's at. He wants to be more, and that's why he keeps pressing forward. It's the picture of the athlete straining to cross the finish line with every ounce of energy available. Paul's not letting up. Paul's not slowing down. Paul's saying that the next lap is going to be faster than the last lap. He's committed to giving a better and more sustained effort in pursuing Christ. There's a dissatisfaction here. I love the story that Howard Hendricks tells, who taught for many years at Dallas Seminary. Faithful, beloved, renowned, And yet this man was found early in the morning studying. His lectures were fresh. 
His thinking was up to date. In fact, Hendricks went by his home some evenings and late into the night, the light could be seen in the window and this man of God slumped over his desk studying. And so one day he said to his brother, he said, you know what, brother? You know, what, what drives you? What motivates you? You know, you could preach from old lectures. You've kind of earned, you know, your right to kind of coast to retirement. Here's what the man said to Howard Hendricks. I would rather have my students drink from a flowing stream than a stagnant pool. Amen. And that's true of the Christian life. Are you a stagnant pool? Beginning to stink and become dead? Lifeless? Or are you and I a living stream, a flowing stream of effort and joy of experiencing Christ in fresh, fresh ways? Let's move on. You've got the dissatisfaction. Now you've got the devotion. Paul's all in on his pursuit of perfection in Christ. That is, he wants to know Christ more in this life and he wants to be with Christ in the next. There's no room for complacency. He's dissatisfied, but he doesn't stay there. His dissatisfaction is matched by devotion. See, you and I can become dissatisfied with stuff. You look around the house going, you know what? We need to do a little bit of painting around here. Or you go out into your garage. It looks like the rubbish tip of the local city council. And you go, hey, we need to tidy this garage up. Go down to Home Depot and get some of those plastic bins, get some shelves, whatever it is. Or you look at your midriff and you go, hey, I need to get to the gym or I need to cut back. And, and you, you're seeing all this stuff that needs fixed. And you're not happy with how you look, how the house looks, whatever. That's all great. We're all good at that. We all know what needs to be fixed. The difference is many of us don't get around to fixing it. Paul's dissatisfied, but he doesn't stay there. He's saying, I am not yet all that God has saved me to be. I'm further down the road than when I got saved, thank God. I've helped establish churches. I've come to know Jesus in a deeper manner. My love for him is blossoming. But you know what? There's so much road still ahead. And so he puts his foot on the accelerator and he devotes himself to some more miles of spiritual maturity. He's focused on fixing the deficiency. Notice his language, especially verse 13, because you have both these ideas. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm dissatisfied. I'm not there. I haven't arrived. But get this contrast of conjunction here. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's utterly unwilling to accept the status quo. He's focused and he's committed. You've got that in this one thing I do. As in he's marshalling his energies, his thoughts, in this one direction, on this one thing. He's focused. He's concentrating here. This is where life is at for Paul. And he's committed, I press. It's the image of the athlete. Pressing, we've seen it. You know, slow motion on our, you know, 80-inch HD TV, where you see the athlete with every muscle rippling, every ounce of energy being poured. The chest is out, the head is back. That's the image. If we were to draw an image for most Christians today, you'd draw a big easy chair and their feet up. Paul's image of the Christian life is the exhausted, exerted athlete giving his all. 
toward the finish line. That's the devotion. And we need to be challenged by that. For Paul, there was one topic of conversation about which he talked, one passion by which he was motivated, one goal for which he lived, and that was Jesus Christ. That I might know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection, and join in him in his sufferings. And that I might someday be changed in the likeness of him when he returns. For Paul, Christ was life's holy grail. For Paul, Christ was life's holy grail. It was his goal, his prize. Because you see, as he tells us early on, he had come to understand the beauty we talked about earlier. He had come to see what he had been blind to. That this really is, as the centurion would say, the Son of God. Virgin, born, sinless, God in human flesh, being wounded for our transgressions, conquering death. When Paul came to understand that, he realized in the words of Jesus, that Jesus was now the pearl of great price. Jesus was worthy, most beautiful. He was everything to Paul. And so Paul counts everything but loss. And anything that he had put any value on that didn't contribute to his life in Christ, what does he call it? Rubbish. That's the sanitized version. The Greek is excrement. That's how Paul sees things apart from Christ. See, Christ is everything. He's what is most beautiful. And when you're captured by that, when that becomes your tennis ball, you're pulled forward inextricably towards Him, knowing Him, loving Him, serving Him, witnessing for Him, and someday being with Him in a happy death. That's where Paul's at. All his energy, all his time, all his love, all his willpower, all his thoughts were directed towards and dedicated to the pursuit of Christ. He was a man with a singular passion. He would have appreciated the words of D.L. Moody, the old evangelist, who said, this one thing I do rather than these 100 things I dabble at. Look at your life. Is it diffused? Is it fractured? Fragmented? Divided in so many causes and commitments apart from Christ? Or is He the integrating center of everything you do, from your murdering to your sports to your work to your leisure? He is the integrating center. He's the one thing in everything. In fact, folks, as I thought about that little phrase, I sat back on my my study chair and I go, one thing. And I started thinking about verses that have that little phrase in them. The Bible loves people who are committed to one thing. What about David back in Psalm 27, verse 4? This one thing I desire and seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold Him in His beauty. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? One thing you lack. What did Jesus say to Martha in Luke 10, verse 42? Martha, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken away from her. You know what? Get your hand out of the sink. Turn the kettle off and come on in here and sit at my feet. This is a moment where I'm going to feed you the bread of life. One thing is needful. Let's take care of your soul before you take care of my body. Remember what the blind man said in John 9, verse 25? One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And then Paul goes, one thing I do. Reaching forward, I press towards Christ-likeness. That's the challenge 
I like what one writer said. This is very helpful and challenging. The reason for ineffectiveness in Christian living today is not lack of love or lack of desire. He's right. I'm 100% sure that 99% of you love the Lord and desire to be better Christians. That's why you're here. That's why you go to Bible studies. I, I get that, and I love you for it. And I'm thankful to God for it. So this person's right. The reason for ineffectiveness in Christian living today is not lack of love or lack of desire. We all have that, and yet some of us are not where we ought to be. In fact, we feel very defeated. So what's the issue? Here's what the writer goes on to say. It's not a lack of love or a lack of desire. It's a lack of concentration. Our time and energy and money and interests are diverted into so many directions that God has lost in the shuffle. Is Jesus being lost in the shuffle of your life? Or is he the one thing? Whatever you're doing, before long, you're back to the one thing. And it's the one thing in the everything that indeed defines your life. In fact, I'm going to give you a little test I stole from one of the writers. The thing was Tony Merida, who said, if you want to just make this practical in terms of application, think about something you can do this week. Change one thing. Commit yourself to one thing that will produce this one thing of pursuing Christ. Is it reestablishing your time with the Lord at a set time at the beginning of the day? Is it better commitment to Bible study? Is it better prayer? Is it opening your mouth in verbal witness for Jesus Christ, which you haven't done for so long? I don't know what that one thing is, but this week, do one thing that will help this one thing become a reality in your life. I like the story of George W. Bush when he was running for the governorship of Texas in 1994. He was up against Ann Richards, if some of you remember that. And he was a very disciplined candidate. You know what? He stayed on message. He was relentless in his communication, whether on radio or on television or on the stump. He communicated four issues and four issues only. He was like a carpenter with a hammer. He just hit that nail four times until it was driven home. In fact, his four issues were these, education reform, tort reform, welfare reform, and juvenile justice reform. In fact, he he did it so well that many political commentators years and years later could give you the four things. Just spit them out. Welfare reform, education reform, tort reform, juvenile justice reform. In fact, he had pounded this message so much that it got under their skin a little bit. And one day in an open mic time, a reporter asked Mr. Bush, if you are governor, what will be your fifth goal for the state of Texas? To which George W. Bush replied, to pass the first four. Now, that's a man who's committed to one thing, which is four things. And you know what? Paul, wherever he is, whatever he's doing, you can't really shake him loose of this thing. I am saved, but I'm also being saved. And God's saving work is so glorious and so full that someday I'm going to be like Jesus in heaven. That's the goal. I want that, and I'm pressing towards that. And you know what? I don't think I'm where I could be And so I'm committed to pressing on towards that goal. And what I don't get done in this life, God will finish it all up in the next. Because he that has begun a good work in me will perform it. So here's another thought, the direction. We've looked at the dissatisfaction, the devotion. Let's look at the direction. Well, as you can tell from the text, it's forward, onward, and upward. Let's go back to our text 
Look what Paul says in verse 13. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal, verse 14, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word prize there, or the word goal means mark. It speaks of the the mark, the finish line, the post that the runner moves towards, or the race platform that is the place where the reward ceremony will take place. This upward call of God in Christ Jesus will Paul was called from heaven on the road to Damascus. So his call came from heaven, and the call is to heaven, to be with Christ and to look like him. That's why in chapter 1 he says, what, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you know what? I'm not sure if I'm going to live, but if I don't live, that's okay, because to be with Christ is far better. That's the goal. That's the prize. That's the end. That's the finish line. That's it. And so Paul is living each day with that goal, that end in mind. And so he's moving forward. The purpose of his life doesn't lie behind him. It lies in front of him. To know Christ in this life and to be with Christ in the next life. That was what defined this man. And so he presses forward. Write down 1 Corinthians 9, 26, and you'll see that in that passage, Paul again draws from the analogy of the athlete, and he talks about that he he runs so as to win, not aimlessly. He's staying within his lane. He's got the finish line in mind. He's got gold in mind. He's not aimlessly wandering all over the track. He's running with purpose, running in the one direction. I love what David Livingstone, the great missionary to Africa, once said, that he would go anywhere with God so long as it was forward. And I hope that's your perspective and mine. That's why David Brainard, who died fairly young with tuberculosis, a missionary to the native Indians of, of New England, said, Lord, help me not to loiter on my way to heaven. And Paul doesn't want to loiter either. He's pressing forward. That's why, by the way, he doesn't spend much time looking back. Did you notice the phrase there? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, notice, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward. Paul's not telling us to forget the past. He's not telling us to erase memories of God's grace by which we would give thanks to God, by which we can take encouragement regarding God's faithfulness. Now, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this, don't look back, don't recall the past if it's going to get in the way of you moving forward. That's the point. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Every day we deliver bold and convicting Bible teaching that challenges us to move from complacency to commitment to making Christ our goal. We're in a series in Philippians, and you can catch up on any message you might have missed when you visit ktt.org. We're grateful we can bring Know the Truth to you each and every day, and it's all thanks to faithful listeners who support this Bible teaching ministry. We hope you'll catch the vision and join the team as one of our Truth Ambassadors. Truth Ambassadors make a regular monthly donation to keep Know the Truth on the air and on the web, sending out Philip's clear and convicting messages that always point to Jesus Christ. Sign up to become a Truth Ambassador today. With a monthly donation of $25 or more, you'll help us send the gospel to your city and cities across the country. You'll bolster your own faith while igniting the faith of listeners who may be hearing the gospel for the very first time. Start that monthly donation today or call in a one-time gift to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. If you prefer, you can mail your donation to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, 
Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And when you give today, we'd like to send you a book by Philip's friend, Pastor J.D. Greer. It's called Not God Enough. Pastor J.D. writes to explain why a small God leads to big problems. But when we embrace the greatness of God, our faith soars and our hopes rise above the limitations of this world. Request Not God Enough when you give a one-time gift or become a monthly partner. We'll send it to you with our thanks. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. That's all the time we have for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back Tuesday for more on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-444-2013. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-444-2013. 800-444-2013. Your story of... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.